Here's a question today, and it's a good question. The question is this, what is the most powerful thing we can do as followers of Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to think about that for just a second. What is the most impactful, dynamic, influential thing that we could do as the church? What is the most powerful thing we can do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? Now, there are many possibilities uh, we might say, is it uh, great acts of service, things that the world can see when we feed the poor, or we give away things, or we pay uh, folks, help folks with their bills? Would it be great acts of service? Is it to be known or involved in all the community stuff? And folks say, you know what, they're all the rage in the community, and our community looks to that particular church. Or would it be, Worship services that are awesome, gatherings that are, are impressive, and all, all the things are in sync and all the things are there. When you attend that worship service, it's a tremendous event. Is that how you would have a powerful impact? What is the most powerful thing we can do as followers of Jesus Christ, as the church? Would it be, and I, I saw a video of a guy this week, would it be to go around healing people? Or, or doing miraculous signs and to say, you know what, I, I perceive your hip is bad and now your hip is better, get up and walk. Would it be to go around and do signs, uh, miraculous signs? Or would it be to stand in the gap in issues of social justice? Would it be for the church to take on and try to set right the causes of the world? And we would, we would endeavor to solve racism or to help in inequality or to, to stamp out poverty. Would it be to take up the social justice causes of the world? Have you noticed churches today are trying all of those things? Some of them are trying actually all of those things. Have you noticed churches are trying to find a way to, to break in or have, a, have some sort of powerful impact in their community? And have you noticed they might be noticed, they may be talked about, they may receive acclaim, but have you ever actually noticed there really is not much impact, not really? And so the question this morning is again, what is the most powerful thing that we could do as believers. Now, I want you to listen very carefully this morning. I want you to listen in because you're not going to believe it. Now, you're going to agree with it. I expect that you would agree with it, but you're not really going to believe it. You're going to think it is too simple. You're going to think that surely there has to be more to it than that, but here it is. The most impactful powerful thing that we can do as believers is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? The most, the most powerful thing that we could do, the most influential thing bearing the most impact is to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, you might say, well, are you sure about that? Surely there's something that has to go along with that. Surely there's something we need to add to that. Listen, the most powerful thing we can do that you can do as an individual follower of Jesus Christ that we could do as the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Today, we're going to look at some verses that are sometimes misunderstood and other times misused, and we're going to let God use them to remind us of this very truth. And so it's not my word you're going to take today. God's going to show you in his own word this morning. Our message is entitled, The Power of Proclamation, The Power of Proclamation. We're in Acts chapter 16, today just three verses, verses 13 through 15. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. And on the Sabbath day, we, now Luke is with them now, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that we have peace fixed in you. We're thankful for for a hope that is settled and finished in you. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sin through the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful on this Lord's Day to celebrate a risen Savior, the conqueror of death, the one that stands in victory. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that it would, would truly be a supernatural event. It wouldn't be some lecture, Lord. It wouldn't be just some passing on of information. But I I pray you would speak to us today, Lord. And I pray we would be convicted. I pray we'd be shaped. I pray that we'd be led in the truth of your word. Lord, I pray in this hour, in this service, if there's one here, maybe several, that do not know you, I pray in the preaching of the gospel that today they might turn and they might receive you by faith. Lord, we give you this hour. We ask that you're known and our desires that you're glorified in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we go back to our study in Acts, and as we do, I want to reestablish the parallels between the first days of the church and these, the last days of the church. Now, that has been evident as we've moved through our 16 chapters thus far, as we've, as we've moved through the study, I want us to see the parallels between the church then and now these, the last days of the church. Now, as we do so, as we do that, I want us to be aware of the fact that God is instructing us in these, the last days by studying these events of the first day. Now, that's what I've been saying all along. I want us to again be aware of that Today, God is instructing us in these, the last days, by looking at the church of the first days. Now, I want you to think about a couple of the similarities. First, see this. In their day, and in our day as well, the culture needs the gospel, 
And yet the world hates that gospel. And that was evident then. You see what Paul's running up in against, what the, what the disciples are running into. It's the same today. The culture needs the gospel, and yet the world hates the gospel. Also, in their days, in our day as well, the world likes religion. The world likes religious things, but the world hates the truth of Jesus Christ. And we see that in their day, and it's surely uh, very clear in our day as well. The world likes religious things. It doesn't mind if you do religious things, but it hates the truth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Most of all, notice this, see in their day and in our day as well, the necessity of the church to the spread of the gospel. I want you to think about that in the chapters we've passed through. What would happen if the church had been silent? What would happen if the church did not advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? We see the necessity, the importance of the church in the early days. I'm gonna tell you this, we wouldn't be saved if it weren't for the events of the church, the, the, the effort of the church in the early days. Well, I want you to see today as well the importance of the church today in the spread of the gospel. Do you know people aren't going to find the gospel if the church doesn't proclaim it? Do you know the, the world's going to miss the gospel if the church somehow goes silent? And I want you to be sure the world would have suffered then all the way to now, and the world will suffer now if the church is missing or if the church is off focus or if the church does not carry out its purpose. I want you to see today the importance of the church of Jesus Christ. We need to be sure of the impact, the potential impact, the necessity of the church of Jesus Christ. Today we go back to the 16th chapter of Acts. And remember now in the 16th chapter, Paul has begun his second missionary journey. Uh, remember the strange events. Barnabas and John Mark have split off from the group of the first a missionary journey, and now they have split off and gone one direction. And now Paul and Silas, uh, last week we saw that they have added Timothy and Luke, uh, they now go in a different direction. Now remember this group, Paul and Silas, and now Timothy and Luke, uh, Paul has uh, received the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, the direction of the Holy Spirit uh, to go to Macedonia. And so now they are in Philippi, a city in the region of Macedonia. Also remember this, and I think it's worth saying, their mission on the first missionary journeys, we watch as we travel through that, and now as we launch and endeavor into the second missionary journey, their mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and then grow those disciples in the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Now, if you wonder what they're up to, if you wonder what they're doing, it is very clear their mission is to make disciples and to grow disciples of Jesus Christ in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Now, I want to say this this morning. As the church was launched off then, and as the church, I believe, is finishing up now, that we have to see that is the imperative, urgent mission of the church to make disciples and to grow disciples in the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Friends, we need to be sure in these days 
before Jesus comes again, our singular mission in the church is to be making disciples and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say that again. Our singular mission, as Jesus is very soon to come again, is to make disciples and grow disciples of Jesus Christ. You know something I was thinking about this week? Do you know Satan doesn't care what you do as long as you don't do that? He doesn't, he doesn't care. You know what? He'll make your business successful. He doesn't care what we do in the church as long as we're not doing that. I see churches and they take up this cause and it leaps off and it prospers and it becomes a big thing. Satan doesn't care what you do as long as you're not making disciples of Jesus of Christ and growing those disciples. We must be about the business of making and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. All right, let's look at our verses and our prayers that God would lead us to our verses this morning. All right, they have followed God's leading. They are in Macedonia. They are in the city of Philippi. That is the context. Now we move to verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. All right, verse 13, we know that the, the pattern in ministry of Paul was to go to a new town and he always started in the Jewish synagogue. If you read these accounts, that is his pattern in ministry. He goes to the Jewish synagogue and is there that he starts. Well, evidently in Philippi, there was no Jewish synagogue. And so they did the best thing they could do. They went where they supposed the Jewish people would gather for a prayer. And so they went to this area. It says it's on a river outside of town. There's no synagogue to go to. So the next best thing, we're going to go to the area where we suppose the Jews would gather for a prayer. Now, the Bible says when they got there, there were no men there. Now, I don't know what the reason for that is. And so they sat down. Luke says we, it's the four of them. They sat down and they began speaking to the women who had assembled on this river. Now, we're not sure how many women are there, but it was at least several. There are several of them there. I'm not sure how many it is. Now, I want to point this out. Notice here, they are seeking out opportunities. They are seeking out opportunities. Now, notice here, they didn't stay home. They didn't stay where they were staying. They didn't find some place to go and put the word out, y'all come and find us, hoping that somehow the best would occur. No, they were deliberate. Notice that. They were active in seeking out opportunities. That's the first thing you see here. They actually went where they thought the Jews would have gathered for prayer and they sought them out and they were deliberate in seeking opportunities. Listen, today time is urgent and believers must be active. We must be deliberate in seeking out opportunities to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Now, that sounds like something you're going to hear, and that sounds like, yeah, I know that, and I'll, I'll write that down, and I may check that off somewhere. Listen, as time is urgent, and I'm talking to us, I'm talking to you, you need to be deliberate, you need to be active in seeking out opportunities to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to remember last week. Remember last week, we have good news. That was the point of last week. We, we surely do. We have good news. Listen, it's still good news. I, I watched this. We need to change our mindset. Sometimes we act like the message of Jesus Christ is drudgery. Oh, I'd, I'd tell them, but you know what? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to bother them. I don't want to get into that with them. We act like it's a, a bitter pill to swallow. Hey, sit down, and I've got to tell you these things. It's a bitter pill to swallow. We act like it's some sort of punishment. No, listen, the truth of last week and, and the truth of Paul's message is we have good news. We have a Savior for sin. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sin. There is a hope in a messed up and sorry world. It is in our risen Savior, and we have good news. We have good news. And we must be deliberate in seeking opportunities to proclaim it. Now, the second thing to notice here in the 13th verse is it says, they began speaking to the women. Now, this is going to be key to our understanding of these verses. It is going to be a big deal. But notice they began speaking. Be very sure today, our message, the message of Jesus Christ, our message is relayed in words. And so they looked for opportunities. They were active. They were diligent in seeking out opportunities. But when they found the opportunity they began, watch it, speaking the message of Jesus Christ. They began speaking the message. What is the most powerful thing we can do as believers? Well, here's our first indication. They began speaking the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, we have to get this idea out of our head that we can somehow live the gospel in some way that people get saved. We, we have the idea we can do enough good things. We, we might endeavor to have enough good deeds that somebody would find the gospel of Jesus Christ and somehow get saved. That's not the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of Scripture is we have a gospel that is relayed with words, and the most powerful thing we can do is proclaim, speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we see there in the 13th verse. All right, let's go on, verse 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. All right, let's look very closely at this 14th verse. One of the women was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira, which was a city in the old kingdom of Lydia. Her name actually means woman of Lydia. And so she's from this kingdom, this former kingdom of Lydia. 
And her parents evidently aren't that imaginative, and so they named her Woman of Lydia. The Bible says the Woman of Lydia, Lydia, she was a seller of purple fabric. Now, her region was actually known for that. We see uh, extra biblical historical accounts of that as well. It was in high demand, and so it was, it would have been, it was a lucrative business. And so she is a seller of purple fabrics. There is a high demand for purple fabrics at this time. They come for her re, from her region, and so she had a lucrative business. Most likely she was successful. Most likely some, if not all, of the women that were with her worked for her. And so there they are on this, prayer, on this, this river bank, and here is this woman from Thyatira. Her name is Lydia. She is most likely a successful businesswoman, and these ladies, these women with her, most likely would have worked for her. Then the Bible says this. She was a worshiper of God. Now, that's a strange thing. I want to explain this to you. She was a worshiper of God. Of God. Now, she didn't know who Jesus was, but she was a worshiper of God. Now, what that means is she probably in Thyatira, where they did have a Jewish synagogue, had come into contact with the Jews, with Jewish people. And in her contact with them, she had learned of Jehovah and she had worshiped him. She had begun the practice of worshiping him. Now, like the Jews, as a God-fearer, she would have been looking to Jehovah for the Messiah, okay? And so she has taken on the, the truth of the Jews. She's taken up the God of the Jews, Jehovah, and as a God-fearer, she would have been looking, as were the Jews, to Jehovah for the Messiah. So she is a worshiper of God. Then verse 14 says, she was listening now, the Greek word means intently listening, deeply listening, and it is continual intense. And so see what that means. She is here, and she is sitting there, and they have started talking, and she is actually hanging on the words of Paul. Now, I can't imagine as she has heard about a God that would provide a Messiah, a Savior, as Paul begins to speak but she is intently listening and she's keeping on listening to the words of Paul. Very simply, he is speaking and she is listening. And then the Bible says, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The word opened means to open wide. That's the, the simplest translation to open wide, or listen to this, to open fully by completing the process necessary to do so. Now, I want you to hear that. The word open means to open fully by completing the process necessary to do so. And so the Bible says, the Lord opened her heart to respond. Now, the word respond means to attend to, it means to pay attention to or to bring near. And so the Lord opened her heart to respond, the Bible says, to the things spoken by Paul. Now, 
there are some folks and they stop right here and they focus on the truth that God opened her heart to respond. Now listen, that is what the Bible says and that is the truth. But there are some folks and there's many folks and they're a growing set of, in number and they stall out right here. And there's entire books written on Acts chapter 16, verse 14. They stall out right here, and they say that God chooses some. God opens the hearts of some, and he doesn't choose others. And he decides to leave closed the hearts of others. And they hold up this verse, and they hold up this account, and they hold up Lydia as the hero of that movement that God chooses some. God chooses some. When they come back to this verse, and he opened her heart, and she had to believe, and he chose some. I think it's always interesting that those folks always believe they're the ones that are chosen, like Lydia. I've never met one that said, God chooses some, wasn't me. Never met that person. God didn't choose my household, he passed it by. We were on the same river, never met those folks. That's not the point. Now you say, why? Let's keep going, let me show you why. Verse 15. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, let's look at this 15th verse. First thing we see, her and her household are baptized. Now be sure, baptism in the New Testament is for believers who have trusted Jesus for their salvation. They've put their faith in Jesus Christ and they are saved in, by faith in Jesus Christ. And the sign of that is the act of baptism. They are not saved by baptism. Baptism has no part, listen to me, has no part, zero part of their salvation. They are saved and because they are saved by faith in Jesus, they are baptized. Now notice here, her and her household. Now, I think it's interesting in context, her household would have included those that come and go into her house, would have included her, her, her workers, uh, those that work for her as well. And so it could have been her family. It could have been the family that stayed close to her. It could have also been the, the workers that worked for her. Could have been even many of those or some of those who were there with her on this river bank. She is saved in the proclaiming of Paul and probably in the proclaiming of Paul and probably in the influence of her as well, others are saved also. And so she is saved, hearing the gospel, she is saved and in her influence and in the proclamation of the gospel, others are saved as well. Then she says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord. I want you to listen to these words. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then, this is my paraphrase, y'all come stay at my house. 
Y'all four, y'all come and y'all serve out of my house. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, y'all come and you serve out of my house. If you have judged me, that translates, it means if you have determined of me to be faithful to the Lord. Now, I want to look at that. What does that mean? Lydia there has trusted Jesus Christ, and she says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, y'all come and stay at my house. Now, I want you to see this. How, How could they see that she was faithful to the Lord. How would, they, how would they determine that? How could they make that determination? She just got saved. She hadn't done anything to show that. She hadn't walked in, in, in faith over time. She had no record to look back on. How could she say, if you can see and judge that I'm faithful to the Lord? See this. To be faithful to the Lord in the Greek Three words, pistine toy curio. Pistine toy curio, it literally means believing on the Lord or faith placed in the Lord. If you have judged me to be believing on the Lord, if you have judged me to have faith placed in the Lord. Lydia says, if you've determined me to be believing on the Lord, now see this. In the thing spoken in verse 13, there was the result of the opening of her heart to respond in verse 14, and that we're finding revealed in verse 15 is the call to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I I, want to tell you, you can't understand all of that unless you're looking at all three of those verses in context Be sure and understand that. The thing that is spoken in verse 13 results in the opening of her heart to respond in verse 14, and that is revealed to us as the call to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in verse 15. I want you to see that. How does God open hearts for people to respond in faith? Listen, it is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How does God open one's heart to respond in faith? It is by the the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is in the holding up of Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. It is in the holding up of Jesus that the Bible says it draws all men unto himself and her heart is opened wide to respond in faith by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, that's kind of deep, but understand that. That is the process that is necessary. Remember the definition of open, completing the process that would result in the opening. That is the process necessary. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now listen to me, do all people respond in faith? No, but praise the Lord that Lydia did and many of her household as well. So I want you to get this, get this today. The most powerful thing we can do just happens to be the most needed thing that we can do. And that is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just be very honest with you here. You want to see great things? You want to see great things in your church? Oh, I remember a revival we had. Oh, I remember when God did this thing. You want to see great things in your church? Proclaim the gospel. You want to see God move? Oh, I remember when he did this. And I remember the account when the, the sea stood up. And I remember the account when this happened. I want to see God move in the same way. If you want to see God move, you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm talking to you as an individual. Do you want your life to matter? You want to be used by God? You don't want to just pass through a whole bunch of years and not get anything? done for the glory of God. You want to be used by God. You proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2021. This is no time to be silent. Look around. Our world is perishing. Absolutely perishing. Our world is walking and I don't know what the deal is, but they're walking and they're numb and they're blind and they're partying all the way and they're walking into death itself. Our world is perishing and moms are hurting and dads are hurting and kids are hurting and they're all walking into death and the only hope is Jesus Christ. It is not in the U.S. government. It is not in another stimulus check. It's not in some reform that might happen. The only answer is Jesus Christ. And so the most impactful, powerful thing we can do as believers is proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Here's what's happening. There's a flow going this way. And it's gonna take some brave people to stand and go this way. And as they're passing us by to say, there is hope, there is hope, there is hope, his name is Jesus. Most powerful thing we can do is proclaim the gospel. Let's pray. Every Father, we come. And I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your truth. Thankful for your call for us. I'm thankful for your mission that you've given us. Thankful that there is hope still, that the hope stands. Thankful that there's peace that's not robbed out from under us, that endures, that passes all understanding. Lord, I'm thankful that there is a Savior. And he took it by sin. He took our sin, Lord, and you carried it to the cross of Calvary. And there you took the penalty for it, the shame, the guilt, the wrath of God poured out and you settled it for me and for us. You died as the sacrificial lamb. And then three days later, Lord, you walk out of that grave and you're alive and you stand in victory and there is hope. Lord, we have good news that if we will believe that, professing with our mouth what we believe in our heart, we shall be saved. Lord, let us be agents, ambassadors, of that gospel. Use us for that. Make us bold in that. May the impact glorify your name. Lord, I pray for some here today that may not know you, that may not know the, the truth of this gospel. I pray that now that you are stirring in their hearts, that you're opening their ears, that you're removing any hindrance. And I pray in the preaching of the good news of the gospel that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask that you work in our service. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.